What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Compile Suite Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Widom. We've got a few things to cover in this episode, so I think the best thing is to just go ahead and start diving right into it all with some news. First up, we have an updated news here from Apple. They updated one of their notes, and this is something that actually makes me happy and probably a lot of others as well. The new iPads, the iPad Pros, there was some controversy because it was figured out that the, you know, the smart keyboard cover that you can get for them that I've got, which is just a fantastic keyboard with the touchpad, by the way, and especially because it has the backlighting. But the problem was because the new iPad Pros are slightly, oh, so slightly thicker that people were saying that, you know, yeah, they won't work with the new, the, uh, the old keyboard won't work with the new iPad because it won't close properly because of the thickness. Well, Apple has updated their, their note to sort of reflect that and say, you know, yes, they're not going to be, as Apple puts it, within spec, which could mean anything. So, you know, we've got to wait till someone gets one and tries one out. But I'm watching this very closely because I'll be honest, I was not going to upgrade my iPad because I was just really unhappy that I've got this keyboard that's where price to begin with and that they wanted me to buy a new one for the new iPad. So if it turns out that it does work and it just doesn't close quite as flush flat as it should, I can live with that, right? I'm certainly not going to buy another keyboard, but I will happily upgrade my my Mac, uh, my Mac iPad Pro to the new M1 version if it does work and the closing it is not really an issue. What's kind of funny and a little bit questionable about this whole thing is Apple is saying that if you have a protective screen over your iPad, this causes the problem, which is weird to me because I don't know that I can believe the specs can be that tight because, you know, let's be honest, these screen protectors are not very thick. I've got one of mine and you barely even see the thickness. So we're going to have to wait and see. But anyway, that's the first thing. So that's some good news for people like myself who have the iPad Pro smart keyboard and want to upgrade their iPad Pro. Next up, there's a rumor, and I'm going to say somewhat unsubstantiated, but it would be awesome if it's true, that we could be seeing refresh of Mac laptops with the same color options or some color options like we do with the iMacs. Now, this is all very interesting because we can now, you know, they can obviously color the metal for the iMacs. It stands to reason, you know, they can do it for the iPads as well. There's no reason they can't do it for the Macs. Question becomes, would they? Because if you think about it, that's a lot of overhead and complication, right? What if you make a whole bunch of, say, green colored uh, MacBook Pros and nobody wants the green. Well, what are you going to do at that point? So I really don't know how much I believe this rumor, but I desperately want this rumor to be true because the thought of having like a MacBook Air or a MacBook Pro that's either the red or blue would be fantastic. I, I would love that. So please, Apple, tell us this rumor is true. Make it happen. That'd be awesome. I'm sure some of you out there would love them as well. Not that I don't love the space gray. I do love the space gray, but having the options to have like colored ones would be just be brilliant. Last weekend, I did a first test of the Compile Swift stream and it went pretty well. I got to say, if the idea was that I was just going to do a little bit of coding and set up some configuration and just 
check everything, see if the cameras worked, audio levels were fine and everything else. And it's looking that way. It's looking pretty good. You can find it at twitch.tv forward slash compile swift. And it's going to be a live stream. It'll be a live stream, but you know, Twitch keeps a recording for a certain amount of time. So you can catch up and watch it afterwards. Uh, because I didn't announce the live stream and I did it really just to get a recording in the bag and get a test. You know, there were no, nobody joined the chat room or the stream live as far as I can tell, but certainly folks watched it afterwards. So if you're one of them, thank you. I would love to hear your feedback on it. Go to compileswift.com forward slash contact or reach out to me on Twitter at compileswift. I really think this is going to be a great and fun, exciting thing. It keeps me honest. It keeps me doing the development in public, like I have suggested in a previous episode, that is so important, uh, not only to grow your confidence, but to show that, hey, you know, we all mess things up. We all have to Google things. We all have to dive on Stack Overflow. And the advantage there with it, too, is because it has a live chat room, you can all drop by and you know, take part in it real time. And I think that that adds to the idea, the philosophy behind a Swift community. So, you know, that's that's worked out pretty good. There's going to be more on that. I'm still working out the schedule, but I think there's going to be another live stream very, very soon, as in this week at some point. If you're interested, you could always sign up for the newsletter, uh, the CompileSwift newsletter. Go to compileswift.com forward slash newsletter. Not only do I tell you about the content going on there with the site, but I put out the useful stuff in there as well. I try to get one out once a week, depending on how many things I find that I think you will find useful. It doesn't cost you anything. I certainly don't spam it because I hate spam, much as the rest of you do. And also because I use it for my own reference, because it's great to put you know useful stuff in there for everybody. Uh, tutorials, news, podcast links, videos, all that kind of stuff. But I do put in there what's going on with the site as well. Something else I'd like to mention, kind of a personal win this week. I finally finished this weekend editing the video series that I'd been working on. I actually had the recordings in the bag for a while, but just did not have time to edit them all. It's a series of six. It ended up being six videos and it walks you through every step of the process to create a data source in a Swift UI application and then make that data source available to all the views that you need it in, in your, your application. And the other advantage here is it takes advantage of combine so that when that data source changes, any view that's using that data source will also update itself, which is an important concept and an important part of a Swift UI application. So if you are interested in that, you can find the links on compileswift.com or you can also find it on my my own personal YouTube channel at the moment, which is YouTube forward slash GRFXG. And uh, there's a playlist on there and I'll put the playlist in the show notes. I forget the exact time, but for the six videos, I think it's about 20, 25 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, something like that. Um, and it'll take you from beginning to end. And there's also a bonus in there on using date formatters to display the correct date in the correct format and a couple of little layout tips for SwiftUI. So if you are interested in that, and I think you should be personally, because that's something that most applications do at some point. Certainly, you know, I, I've lost count of the amount of applications I've written that need data across multiple views. And in SwiftUI, it can be a little tricky. So, you know, check that series out, see what you think. If you have any suggestions or 
requests for future series, let me know. Again, go to compileswift.com forward slash contact or reach out to me on Twitter at compileswift. I would love to hear about it. Leave it in the, sh- the notes on YouTube if you want. Um, I'm looking for ideas. I have some myself. It takes a little while to put a series together, but I feel it's better than those one-off, you know, quick tip kind of videos to be able to walk through something from beginning to end. And the last thing this week, I had some time on my hands uh, in one evening this week. So I was something I wanted to play around with for some future projects and some just general curiosity. So I took one of my existing repos that I have up on GitHub and I thought, okay, it's time to play around with some of this automation stuff for at least the testing now that I've got in the habit of writing tests. So what I did was I installed Fastlane on my machine and I set up a very simple Fastlane uh, channel, I believe it's called. And you'll, I'm sure you'll correct me if I got the name wrong. And I also then went ahead and set up a action for GitHub in the repo as well. Well, actually what I did, on I set it all up on my local machine first. So you set up Fastlane, uh, you can run the Fastlane locally to check, make sure that it's running okay. In my case, I had one that just triggered automated tests that I had already written in the repo, uh, in the project, sorry, in the, and in the repo. And then I added a GitLab configuration file to my repo and I pushed it all up to the GitLab. And to my surprise and my delight, it just worked. So what happens now is when I push to, when I make a commit and then I push that commit up to my repository on GitHub, it actually goes through and runs this action because it's set to run on commit and it'll fire up a machine, which I, this was the part that I figured I would have problems with, but it turns out it just worked. GitHub fires up a, I presume some kind of Mac VM and then it executes all of my tests for me and gives me back a test report. So the beauty of that is that, you know, obviously many of you do this already, I'm sure is anytime I can make a commit and it breaks something, I should know about it when it happens. I can, of course, run them locally as well, but I like to just have them run when I push up to the repository. So that was awesome. I was surprised how easy it was to work with GitHub more than anything and get the actions working just out of the box. No extra Macs or any configuration stuff like that. The next step will be to probably perform builds and, you know, then when I commit to GitHub, have it perform a build, maybe push it over to AppSense or something like that to complete the process. If that isn't something I don't necessarily need for me on my own personal applications, but it's just a good exercise. It's a good learning exercise to understand it because I do need it for some other, other projects. And, you know, it's always good to know how these, the, the CI CD works under the hood, right? I'd used it before on different systems using Jenkins, but I'd never done it with GitHub. So I was very pleasantly surprised. I then went across and performed the same test on GitLab and I had to make some changes to the scripts, which is understandable. Unfortunately, GitLab uh, cannot run it out of the box. The I don't know if you call it the community edition, but the free edition is what it. I guess I'm gonna call it. And what happened was it tried to execute the script and everything else. But it became very clear that it didn't have a Mac VM or a Mac, whatever it needed to fire up Xcode just wasn't there. So, of course, it failed miserably. So not such a good experience with GitLab. I'll look into it a bit more out of the box. 
Uh, I was just curious, you know, GitLab is such a popular option as well, but, you know, GitHub's fine. I, I have no problems with GitHub. That's where all my repos are. So I just wanted to share that. If you'd been thinking about it at all, it's easier to get started with GitHub Actions and firing up those fast lane scripts than it is on some of the other services. Eventually, I'll try and get around to testing Bitbucket and some of the other ones that I use. I love Bitrise. Um, you know, Bitrise, of course, is no problem because it's designed to just deal with all of this stuff. So, you know, kudos to Bitrise. And in fact, I'll put a link for Bitrise in the show notes. Um, you know, it is an affiliate link. You don't have to use it. But if you've not played around with Bitrise, uh, Bitwise is just a really great service. And there is a, a free level that you can play around with. I thoroughly recommend you check it out. You know, why not offload some of that automated stuff to to another system somewhere else? Okay, folks, that's it this week. Hope it's been helpful. Reach out to me at CompileSwift on Twitter. Go to CompileSwift.com. And you can, of course, find me on CompileSwift on Instagram. And just search for CompileSwift on any of the networks, and you'll probably find it. If it's there, it's probably me. Take care of yourselves. Let's have a great week. WWDC is getting ever closer. We're under the 30-day mark now. Time to get excited. See you later.